Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different styles, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture of wine. For this second episode on port, continuing our series on fortified wine, we look at the Douro, the region where historically the grapes have been grown for port, the wines have been made for port in that fast fermentation we were talking about in the first episode, but also more in a more contemporary fashion where the wines have been aged for port as well. So the Douro has always been important, but it's even more important than it was before. And we'll look at the developments that have led to this, uh, this rise in the Douro, the way that the grapes are planted and also that the, way, the way that the wines are aged, as well as looking at the historical methods for port. The name port itself probably comes from the name of Porto, where port has always been traditionally shipped from, so Porto being the port city to the north of Portugal. But, as we looked at in the last episode, the wines were traditionally aged in Vila Nova de Gaia, which is Porto's sister city, the other side of the River Douro, because that town, or city, has the, sa- has the perfect conditions for aging the wine with, because they're cool and humid. But, the grapes have never been grown around Porto or Vila Nova de Gaia, they've always been grown in the Douro. And furthermore, the wines have always been made in the Douro. But now, the Douro is actually where the wines are aged, because the Douro is much more accessible than it used to be. And so, road access, modernisation, air-conditioned cellars allow the wines to be aged there. So the relationship between the producer, the grower, and where the grapes are grown is much closer than it ever used to be. The Douro itself is inhospitable. It's hot and it's dry, inland from Porto. Difficult to access, difficult to live in, and very different from Porto itself. Porto is wet. It has 1,200 millimetres of rain a year, falling from the Atlantic inland towards the Serra do Maro, which is a mountain range inland from Porto, rises 1,400 metres high, and the rainfall here is 1,500 millimetres, so a little bit higher than Porto, just getting wetter as it goes more inland. But that mountain range helps stop the rain going into the Douro and makes the Douro a much drier region. And so we have this transition from wet maritime to dry, extreme and continental. So let's look at the three subzones of uh, the Douro. And this again emphasizes how it gets drier and drier. So we're going to go from west to east inland. So starting west, the Baixa Corgo. And this is downstream from the Corgo River. So Baixa Corgo means Lower Corgo. And the Corgo River flows into the Douro. And so this is at the foot of the Serra do Maro mountain range. And here it's cool and wet. And rainfall is 900 millimetres a year. So surprisingly high. Not that much different from Bordeaux. And that rainfall and the cool conditions produce light wines. Uh, inexpensive ruby and tawny are the, the wine styles which are usually produced from the grapes um, grown in the Baixa Corgo. As we go further inland, we go to the Sima Corgo, which means Upper Corgo. And this is the heart of the region, the heart of the Douro. It's much warmer, and rainfall is less at 700 millimetres. Though that rainfall is enough to give enough water to the vines to access as, they dig, as their roots dig deep. And this is where the high-quality uh, wines come from, the tawny vintage and late-bottled vintage, the best examples of those wines, because the warm conditions and the drier conditions really concentrate the flavours of the grapes and just create what we want from port, which is fruity but tannic and concentrated. Further inland again is a much newer region, the Douro Superior, and this is even remoter than the rest of the Douro and difficult to access. But because of the road network which has been introduced into the Douro, it is easier to access than it was before, and so a lot of producers and growers have looked towards the Douro Superior as a new region to plant grapes. 
And the reason the Douro Superior has a great um, appeal to these producers and growers is because the land is a lot flatter. And so mechanization is possible. And this mechanization reduces costs. And that's something that producers and growers are always looking for. But on top of that, the region does have great potential. Because it's warm and because it's dry, the grapes will have that rich fruitiness to them, which, as I said, we're looking from port. So it has potential for good quality grapes leading to high quality wines, which makes the Douro Superior a region of great interest. And so we'll see how that develops. So let's look at the Douro soils next. As you can imagine from such a dry, warm region, the soils are shallow, stony and low in nutrients. And in fact, irrigation is needed for the young vines to establish themselves. And then once they are established, the um, irrigation will be stopped. The Douro region itself still follows the delimitation introduced by the Marques de Pombal in 1756, which we looked at in the previous episode. And so if you're wondering in the previous episode where I was talking about a Portuguese politician from the 1750s, he's still important because the Douro is very similar to how he delimited it. And he delimited it around the schist soils in the region, which are surrounded by granite. And so schist here is very important. And so these rocky, stony soils, all um, going up from the banks of the Douro on these very, very steep slopes, are integral to the way that the grapes are grown, and integral to the style of port, and also to the image of port, which is so well known around the world. If you haven't seen a picture of these, these steep slopes, then you must look at them, because they are quite astonishing. And a lot of these steep slopes will be built with terraces. And this is what the Douro is most famous for. These steep terraces rising from the river on the schist soils. And these terraces have been dug into the, the rocky soil, almost like as if you were digging a quarry. And this has many advantages, as well as disadvantages. The disadvantages are that they are expensive. They can have no mechanization because they're very steep and terraced, and so they're really only accessible by, by mule, and maybe with a person on the back of that mule. And um, that requires a lot of labor and no mechanization, as I've mentioned. But they do have advantages. The way that these terraces are structured are with stone walls, with three rows per terrace. And these are called solcalcos in Portugal, and these are very traditional. These stone walls themselves are expensive to main, maintain because they have a tradition of collapsing and so they have to be constantly rebuilt. But what they do is they help combat soil erosion. So if you're bit of, uh, planting grapes and lots of them on these very steep slopes, erosion is an issue because the, the vines will simply uh, stop the structure of the slope from being maintained and it will collapse and uh, fall down into the river. So these stone walls combat that and allow these terraces to be maintained for years and years. What these terraces do is that they follow the contours of the land, and so there's quite irregular spacing. So again, if you look at a picture, you'll see the slopes kind of winding around the river, and the terraces follow that. The other advantage is that there's 6,000 vines per hectare, and that kind of is allowed by the irregular spacing following the contours, and so you have a very high-density planting. And that just works the vines, makes them compete with each other for the water and the low level of nutrients in the ground, and that concentrates the flavours of the resulting wine and produces much higher quality. And that means, despite the difficulty of maintaining and building these terraces, 40% of the Douro is still planted to these terraces, so still very important despite being so traditional. But there have been lots of develop developments since the 1970s and 80s in terms of plantings and how the grapes are planted. So the first in the 1970s was a way to try and offset the difficulty of the terraces. And this is called the Patamara system. And these are sloping terraces. So rather than just following the contours, they're sloping up and down the slopes. 
And this allows road access, and road access allows mechanization, meaning that you can get tractors up there to maintain the land, maintain the vines, and to pick grapes. And so the, the vines themselves are planted up and down vertically, but there are disadvantages to this system. The first is that they don't combat erosion because you don't have those stone walls making uh, the terraces. Instead, it slopes, and so erosion is an issue. The second is because of that, the vines cannot be planted to the same high density. The density is instead of 6,000 vines per hectare is 3,000 vines per hectare with much wider spacing. This means there is less pressure on the vines, they're not working as hard. This means more vigour, so you might get more yields or more canopy, so the, the vines have to be managed more. And, this, and if you allow those high yields, there's less concentration to the event, eventual wines. So it does have disadvantages. And so producers have come up with another system, which is an unterrace system called Vigna al Alto. And again, this is going up and down. And the machinery here is operated by winches, so you're not actually going up into the vines to, um, with your machinery. The machinery instead is operated by winches, and so you're actually at the bottom of the slope. The disadvantage is because there's no terraces, the slopes can only be a 35% gradient maximum, which is pretty steep, but not as steep as some of the slopes that you'll find in the Doro. But it allows that machinization to be done. And the other advantage is that it allows higher density planting than the Patamara system, because there, uh, they, it allows 5,000 vines per hectare. And that's because it ignores the contours. Everything's just simply going up and down, regardless of the contours, getting higher density plantings, because also you don't need the roads in between. And this produces better wine, because the density is higher, the vines are more concentrated, and the flavours are more intense. So, an interesting substitute to the uh, terraced system. And then we have the Doro Superior and what they are doing there. As I mentioned, this is a very new region and its advantage is that it's flatter. And so you don't have to worry about terraces and which terracing system you're going to use or coming up with a new alternative. It's flat land. And this also means more machinization and cheaper costs. So one of the reasons why producers and growers are looking towards the Doro Superior for um, new plantings. So as I mentioned, a lot has changed over the last 40 years. We look at the tradition and history of port and regions like the Baisha Corgo and Sima Corgo are extremely um, important to the centuries-long history of the region. Uh, but a lot has changed, in terms, especially in terms of the terracing. And so we have a huge mixture of traditional, historical and the new and the more modern. So thank you for listening. In the next episode, we will look at the different styles of port. Uh, this is Matthew and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.